0: The reading this morning is from uh, John, it's chapter 19, and we're reading from verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed and saw that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to the Jesus's lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came out and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows what he tells is the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bonds will be broken. And as another scripture says they will look on the one they have pierced. That is the word of the Lord. Well, I guess the main focus we have today is where jesus is telling us it is finished by the end of this morning you will also have a lingering question a question that will require some deep personal evaluation of who you are and what your life is you probably had expected a question a challenge like this to arrive at, around about this time anyway We are now, after all, dealing with the death of the Son of God and all for the eternal benefit of you. Let us pray that we may come to understand this deeply in our hearts. Let us pray together. Our loving Father, we do come before you to thank you. Our thanks goes out to you for more than we even can comprehend, Lord. love that is poured out on us through your son through his death on the cross may this take true meaning in our hearts and may indeed change the way we live we pray this in jesus name amen well following on from last week's message when we had a measly 30 words that spoke to the crucifixion of jesus In considering all the details we had all about his uh, several trials and the beatings and the the punishment that he suffered, we also recognise, of course, that the gospel writers would have given us and written down exactly what the Holy Spirit had given them to focus on, and of course, for a godly and a good reason. As I mentioned last week, it isn't the pain that we should be focusing on we are simply to focus on the message that this event in history brings to us. The very first sentence today really starts giving us a clear view of what this might be. In verse 28, it says later, knowing that it was all now completed so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Everything the disciples see, everything they hear, serves to strengthen their faith and proving that jesus is the son of god and it's the same for you and i everything we learn from reading the gospel accounts of the old testament goes to prove to us that jesus christ is the one and the only son of god and with that comes the clear understanding of him being our only only hope of salvation and this, of course, continues then at the end of verse 28. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Well, Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, 15, is probably far more explicitly describing this, the suffering caused by the crucifixion. My mouth is dried up like potchard. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. There is no doubt Jesus suffered thirst, but there's also a much, much deeper message when he exclaims, I am thirsty. I will come back to that part of it at the conclusion of today's message. In verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on the stalk of his plant and lifted it to jesus lips when he had received the drink jesus said it is finished with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit well the four gospels have slightly varied versions of what was said by jesus from the cross. In Mark's gospel, we are told what Jesus is said, uh, said to have said prior to the offering of the vinegar. In verse 15 34, we read, And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, of course, also had this in Psalm 21, verse 1, where it says the same thing. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is it that Jesus is telling us here? What is it that he is saying here? Is he alluding even to a possibility that the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was torn apart at this point? Well, to say something like that would be absolutely ludicrous. Firstly, to do so would be to undermine the whole of the Bible's teaching of the unity of the Godhead. See, there's not three gods all close related and deeply in love with one another who will act as one. There is one God. There's only ever been one God, and we have that in Deuteronomy 6.4. And this one God is not made up of three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as if you need to add three together to make the whole. Absolutely not. Father, Son, and Spirit are one substance, all fully possessing the same divine essence. There is no possibility of separation because this is one substance is individual's. There is one God. See, God does not exist as bound by time and space. We might remember that God cannot suffer, He is impossible. This is not straightforward to proof text this doctrine with just a few Bible verses that grows out of scripture teaching on God's unchangeable nature and his self-sufficiency. Our brother Calvin wrote in the 1600s, Surely God does not have blood, does not suffer, cannot be touched with hands. Nothing can harm him. Nothing can diminish his joy. Nothing can tear him apart. Thank God. So what is this suffering then that we are talking about? The suffering described to us in Psalm 22. But we should never forget that Jesus was born as a man and will always be fully man. But he's also fully God. So it is the fully man that are here suffering. And that is fully man that is has experienced the separation from God when he now exclaims, why have you forsaken me? That is the man, Jesus. Because we are flesh and blood, See, Jesus had to partake in the same flesh and blood in order that he might die for us. In his divine nature, he was impossible. His suffering had to be a human suffering, not just because God cannot suffer, but in order that he might justly represent you and me. This is also spoken of in Hebrew 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, He, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus had to be made like us in order to make propitiation for us. It was his human nature that he endured the suffering necessary for our salvation. This suffering is still the suffering of the Son of God. There's no Jesus Christ, the man who is not God, the son. But it is important that we also understand that all his suffering, including his bearing of our wrath that we are are deserving of, his just as satisfying death is suffering according to his human nature. Let me reiterate, there is no way that anything can tear apart the trinity the triune godhead but rather god the son suffering in the flesh now as john continued to write it brings out further evidence as to the deity of the lord jesus christ who had just died in verse 31 we can read now it was a day of preparation and the next day was to be a special sabbath Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Psalm 34, 19, 20 tells us, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And another prophecy to add to the list. In verse 34, instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. See, these things happened so that scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as the other scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Going to Zechariah in the Bible, Old Testament, verse 10 in chapter 12, confirms this for us. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as the mourn for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. None of us should ever be in any doubt that Jesus is the true and only son of God the Father. That he was born a man and lived and died so that we may have eternal life in him. How much have we individually pondered who Jesus is fully in our heart and what does this, his life, what does his life mean to us? Well, there was a Theologian born late 1800s and a guy called Arthur Pink. Well, he had pondered all this in his heart. He wrote, while here on earth, the Lord Jesus gave full proof of his deity. He spoke with divine wisdom. He acted in divine holiness. He exhibited divine powers and love. He moved men's hearts and compelled men's wills. He truly was, he God, manifest in the flesh, that he could say, he that has seen me has seen the Father. That was a quote he took from John 14, verse 9. See, all of this comes down to today's passage, speaking of the death of Jesus. So what does his death mean to you? What makes the death of Jesus so unique is that it accomplished in every detail what is required for your salvation. You and I deserve to die for our sin, but Christ died for you and I. We were under just the wrath of God, but Christ bore that wrath in our place. We were alienated from God, but Christ reconciled us to the Father. In one sense, all this is spiritual. But never forget that all this is also historically truthful. It is just as truthful, everything we read, as your own birth and your own existence today. This is never merely a myth, as some will say. Everything we read in the Bible is accurate and historical, Right from the creation in Genesis to the final arrival in heaven in Revelation. It is therefore in light of all this, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and his suffering for you, that I shall ask you to consider this. When Jesus called out from the cross, I thirst. And we read in Psalm 22, of the excruciating pain that that brought about for him. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. I don't know if you have experienced this level of thirst ever, but I'd like to venture some thoughts about how we may think of this in terms of our own lives. And that of the world that we live in. To widen our view of this, let me take you to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, within the Godhead, there's an everlasting hunger and thirst for righteousness. This thirst, is a thirst that can only be quenched by the sacrifice of God's one and only son. So when Jesus tells the world from the cross that he thirsts, we would be well-served to contemplate this in how we also should thirst for righteousness, for all that is true, for all that is good. It was, after all, After he had said this that he gave up his life for us, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Christ died to quench that thirst. Christ has loved us so much that he did not hold back from doing what needed to be done. Because of this, we, you and I, on our part, should also serve him without any reservations whatsoever. See, how much do you thirst for righteousness? I sometimes think about my own life and how I live and what I do. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's not the greatest focus in my life, but it ought to be. Jesus could rightfully exclaim, it is finished. Knowing full well he had accomplished everything in detail, all the things that the Father had asked of him. So for us, it's a question. Is there something that you know that he has asked of you that still remain unfinished? And if your life should end tomorrow, well, I don't even need to ask that question, do I? But you know, you know in your heart that it needs an answer. It needs to be answered between you and God. There stands a question. All we can ever ask is may the Lord in his mercy and grace provide us all with everything we need to complete the task and finish the race. Then may he welcome you into his kingdom with his wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful for the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This time in history where Christ gave up his spirit and died on the cross for our sins should dwell richly in our hearts, should make us really think how is it we treat each other, how is it that we take his gospel, do we share it, do we love it, do we do the things that he asked of us. These are things that need to be answered. May he guide you and bless you. Amen.